I'm Paula Jenkins, a transformative life coach and podcaster. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that talks about the stories of people following their hearts, finding work that lights them up, and looking at how joy plays a part in their journey. To learn more about this podcast or to find out more about me, just head on over to the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 52 of Jumpstart Your Joy. I am so excited because this week, yay, is the one-year anniversary of this show being launched. To celebrate this one-year anniversary, I have a two-week finale planned for you guys. So this week on part one, I have a series of really special memories of times with guests that just were standout moments for me and all things that I wanted to go back and revisit and relive and reshare with you guys and also add a little bit of extra commentary from behind the scenes so you get a sense of what it was like or maybe what my thoughts were about each of these special interviews. If you want to get more information on this episode along with links to all of the longer interviews with each of these people, head on over to the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 52 And from there, you'll be able to get links to all of these episodes. If you like what you hear and you want to subscribe, you can head over to iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, or Stitcher, and look for Jumpstart Your Joy. I would love to have you subscribe, leave a rating or review, or you can head over to the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 52 and leave some comments. In doing interviews, it's very interesting because you often get some of what I call pre-chatter ahead of the actual interview. There's always these moments where you start talking with a guest and like they say the most amazing things before the official interview portion starts. For this first highlight, I have just a, a little bit of the pre-chatter between Christy Tenderly Spalding and myself. We had already started laughing really hard about comfortable pants It's just a moment that really looking back was so hysterical. Five-year-old pants drama is like the (laughs) cutest drama of all the dramas. Yeah. It's like it's far more endearing than my drama. Well, I get it. The pants aren't comfortable. We all want to wear comfortable pants. This is why I quit my job and now I work from home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I have uncomfortable pants, so this... (laughs) Yeah, I did did not quit my job to wear uncomfortable pants is all I'm saying. (laughs) Sorry, I just stored it. So you want to know my theory on self-care? Uncomfortable pants are not self-care. Like, I like guys, that. Go buy yourself some pants that fit. <laughs> like self-care is comfortable pants. Or like whatever that means to you. But if you're, if you're tugging at your pants, I guarantee you self-care is not happening. <laughs> See, that's awesome. Like it's, it's physically impossible for those two things to exist at, at the same time. But uh, but, it, but I think it goes to like the larger context of like yeah. if you feel awkward and crappy and not yourself, then like self care cannot be happening at the same time. The universe cannot permit those two things to simultaneously coexist. Yes, I fully fully believe and agree with you. like that's so true. Because yeah, if there's that little bit of like I don't feel like myself or I don't feel really comfortable, like. Then you're like attracting all the other icky feelings. Yeah, and you're not being kind to yourself. And, yeah. And and isn't that the point? It kind of is, yeah. 
And I just love that looking back on that moment, <laughs> after Christy and I had only been speaking for about five minutes, maybe, we just, you could just tell that we were going to be friends. And so I'm so grateful for the community and the friendships that have been built because of and through and around this podcast. And what's been so awesome about getting to know Christy is, of course, we're going to be launching a co-led course in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. It's all about breathing and balance. Another big standout moment that felt like it needed to go early in this episode is all about starting and at Tiffany Hahn's deep wisdom around the fact that you have to start to evolve. And I love just her no-nonsense, wonderful approach around just getting around to the business of starting. Do some due diligence, do some work, come up with the best answer for right now, and then get going. Mm-hmm. Because the evolution, I always say like evolution can't happen until you start. But I think that people spend way too much time in like the what if place and like over research. For episode 15 of Jumpstart Your Joy, I had Allison Arngrim, who played Nellie Olson of Little House on the Prairie on the show. And I have to share that as a child, I loved Little House on the Prairie, and I'm still a huge fan. Like, I love the books. I love the TV show. And, of course, in the late late 1970s and early 1980s, Nellie Olsen really was the ultimate mean girl. She was the thing that I had to compare any mean girl in my class to. And so I was super excited to get to speak to the actress that played her. But also, I'm going to admit, I was slightly terrified because she was my first really big guest that I had on the show. And there was somewhat of a little bit of intimidation going on around it being someone that I was so terrified of as a child. And so getting her on the phone and getting to hear her talk about how she got the part, what it was like to try out for the part of Nellie was awesome. And then there was this moment on the phone where she recited some of the early lines that she said as Nellie. And it was as if I was talking to Nellie Olson herself on the phone. So let's take a listen. That you realize that Nellie, I'm going to use air quotes, but is different. Um, would you share like about that and kind of maybe your reading for her? Well, that's so incredible. I talk because it, it was so crazy. I mean, you audition for kid parts when you're a kid actor. There's all these roles and especially that era, we're talking early 70s, you know, 73, 74, and children, they were very nice children. It was a real Brady Bunch kind of era. And mm-hmm. if you auditioned for a kid role, generally you were playing a real, I was a pretty little girl, so very sweet part. And it was always like, yes, mother, oh, pa, you know, it was all these nice girl roles. It was a little boring, frankly. There weren't any evil children. I mean, yes, they'd made the bad seed, but they weren't putting that sort of thing on television. So I get there, and I don't. I hadn't read the Little House books. I had no clue. I was clueless. I had no idea. So I didn't know there was a Nellie also. I didn't know they had a villain in this piece. So I get there, and I get these sides, and I start reading. And immediately, I mean, this girl is awful. She's awful, the things she's doing. She's in school, and she's making fun of them, and they're in the store, and, and, and they want to buy something. They say, well, it's an extra penny. I don't think the country girls have a penny. And then she goes into this absolutely ridiculous speech about her house and yes. it's not an essay she's listing everything in her house and how much it cost this girl <laughs> is like out of her mind and she's going on and on about everything cost and it's actually very clear in the speech she's really kind of doing a number on herself Nellie is so 
involved in how fabulous her house is. She doesn't realize that she's actually giving away that her family is not terribly popular. My favorite line is when she says, and we have three sets of dishes, one for every day, one for Sunday, and one for when someone very important special comes to visit, which we have never even used yet. (laughs) Now, she's so proud that they got a set of dishes they haven't eaten off yet. But she's just said when someone important, which we've never used, because they're nobody. They live in Walnut Grove, Minnesota, and they run a store, and they're not important, and they don't know the Queen of England, and they don't know anybody famous, and no one is coming to visit. And she's just kind of telegraphed this, and this child does not know this, because she's so involved in how much her dishes got. I'm dying to laugh to reading this. I mean, this is great. But I turned to my dad, and I went, this, this girl is a bitch. I don't know what to do. And he said, what? what do you do? I said, this is not a normal part. This girl, she's terrible. She's awful. It's strangling. And he said, well, read it to me. And I start, my home is the best home in all of Walnut Grove. I start reading. My father starts cracking up. He said, this is great. And then he said, don't read it again. I said, what? Because normally, well, let's go through this. He said, don't touch it. Put the pages down. Don't even look at them. Do not read it again. Don't look at it again. Go in and do it exactly as you just did it. Don't touch it. Don't think about it. Just say it. Just say it exactly as you just read it. Wow. Okay. I went in, and there was Michael and Ken gang, and I did just that, and I said, okay, and I read the thing. They're in fits. They are cracking up so hard, they're falling off the couch. And then they said, could you do it again? And I said, what do you want me to change? They said, nothing, just, just read the thing about the house again. <laughs> and they weren't okay, and so they wanted to see if it was a fluke, like, could I do that twice? And I was hired immediately. I mean, by the time we got home, the agent was on the phone. It's like, the wardrobe fitting is Tuesday. It was done. It was, And it just blew my mind, because here I go in and I'd read for all these nice little girls and didn't get them. And then I go and I read for the part of this absolutely objectionable. You want to smack her in the head girl. And what do I do that when I get hired? Yeah. <laughs> like, what did I, what did I do? Right. What does this say about me as a person? <laughs> and I don't know about you, but when she talked about my house, I could just envision the episode and it took me right back to being a little girl. It was just a really breathtaking moment for me to be on the phone with her as she recited those lines. Another really amazing experience was in episode 34 with Laura Sims. And she was talking about the difference between purpose and passion when somebody is looking at a career or their life's work. I really love what Laura has to say about this because It's slightly different. There's so much in today's society where we're talking about following our bliss and doing what lights us up. And I love that she's narrowed this down into actually following something that is a purpose and that has deeper meaning. And this idea really unlocked something for me when I when I think about how do we find joy in our work, in our life's work. It does feel like it's tied up in our purpose. Yes, passion might come in in splashes, but it's one of those things that when we're, as Laura says, connected to people and a higher, kind of a higher element in our lives, that's when purpose and joy and contentment all come into play. And it's more of a well-rounded and holistic approach to joy than going after just the passion and just the fizzle side of things. You have clients focus on purpose over passion. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's the draw currently? I think there's a lot of that, you know, follow your bliss, go with, you know, where do people kind of get stuck in that? And how can they, if they've been trying to follow their passion, but it doesn't seem like they're coming close to what it is that they should be doing. How do you get them to shift into purpose? So, all right, let's talk about the difference between passion and purpose and how they show up. 
So I'm going to follow my passion. So what that usually means is there's an activity or a subject matter that I'm just in love with. And that's legit. I'm, I'm never trying to say that passion doesn't count. It does, but just we have to put it in its proper place. So I love this thing. I'm going to do it. I feel good when I do it. I feel alive. I feel energized. Passion is about your enjoyment of and relationship with the activity that you're doing. So if we're going to think about that contrary to purpose, purpose is not necessarily linked to one activity. It's about the connection and relationship to someone else. Mm. So let's take a musician for an example. If you've got a musician who is doing their work based on passion, it's they love to be in the studio alone. They get lost in this state of flow. They don't care if anyone ever hears their music because they just feel so filled up and alive when they play. A musician who is purpose-driven is still going to love their instrument and the music, but there's going to be a reason outside themselves that they think the music is important. Are they playing music because they want people to get out of a cubicle and have a human experience on the weekends? Maybe they're playing music because they think it's healing. Maybe they're playing music because they think people need more fun in their lives, and this is their way to help people do that. The, The musician who's over here playing just for passion, I feel like it's easier for that to fizzle and it's harder for that to monetize because here you are in a room by yourself enjoying your thing and how it makes money, how it serves someone else is totally an afterthought and is often an inconvenience. This is where you hear frustrated artists say things like, I hate money. You know, I wish I could just do this and I, you know, I hate that I have to go on Etsy or I'm not getting enough sales or I'm not, right? Mm -hmm. If it's coming from a place of purpose, from the conception, it's about how can I do this thing in a way that's going to touch someone else? How can this thing that I'm doing that I love so much contribute and be of service? So that's where we start to bridge that gap. You can do the same activity possibly, but we've got to look at it through a lens of how it connects and contributes. Yeah. The other amazing thing that came out of that discussion, specifically around purpose and passion, is that burlesque performer Velvet Eau Claire reached out to me and Laura after that episode aired and let us know that she had recorded her own episode in response to the question of purpose and passion. And she later came on my show to talk about burlesque performance and how that relates to joy. So it's just this really, really interesting daisy chain of events that happened and When we're looking at life's work and the edge of purpose there, I also really love what Emily Wapnick in episode 29 has to say about finding one's purpose as a multi-passionate person. Again, (laughs) we're looking at that dance of purpose and passion. A multi-passionate, and I've had so many multi-passionates on the show, is someone who has a really hard time choosing the one thing that they want to do with their life. And so what I love is that Emily said, well, maybe my thing is actually that I don't have just one thing. And that's how she created Putty Like. And I found that that was really interesting that when you're looking for joy, sometimes it's even simpler than you would ever think. And it's right in front of you in some ways. And so I really loved what Emily had to share about how she found her own purpose and her own joy in being a multi-passionate like not choosing was my thing, you know, cause I've, I've lived this way my whole life. I've made it work. I've done freelancing and jobs here and there. And like, 
what if I stop fighting this thing inside of me and I embrace it and I try and find a way to make it work for me? And so I started blogging about that and I started meeting other multi-potentialites, though I didn't have that word at the time, who were more successful than me, who had really thriving careers and just learning from them and refining my ideas and just sharing what I was learning. And that was, you know, five years and a bit ago. So... (laughs) Another self-identified multi-passionate is my friend and former coach, Michelle Ward, and she was on for episode five. First of all, it was a great, it was a really fun interview because she and I laugh our butts off about kind of boy bands and what we loved in the 80s, and so be sure and go back and listen to episode five. (laughs) But I also really love that she doled out some great advice for a brand new entrepreneur about how you can set natural gatekeepers into place around your business. So my mind was blown, even though I've worked, I had worked in marketing for a really long time. I was totally enthralled with her really stating in a simple and plain way about how not everybody is going to be your client. And that So if you're an entrepreneur, by actually putting out the gatekeeping language that indicates who you work with can actually open more doors for you instead of making it feel like you're niching down way too far and limiting your client base. So (laughs) let's listen to what she has to say about that. Wow. So just the idea, too, that like it's so scary on this side of meaning I'm just about to jump out on my own, but like so scary on this side to be like, well, if I niche down, it means I'm going to attract fewer people. But right. I think the lesson there is like if you niche into or at least call out what you who you best serve. Yeah. Well, then it opens more doors because the people can associate and be like, oh, I'm that person. That's not, exactly. Not exactly. like, oh, well, sh- she works with anyone. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I call it being a gatekeeper. And yeah. I love being a gatekeeper, which is why I throw the word creative in front of career coach. And it's kind of a BS title because everyone's creative. It shouldn't be as effective as, as it is, but there are only certain people that resonate with the word creative. Um, and that's not to say I've worked with my fair share of, you know, lawyers and engineers and people that have very, you know, left brain jobs, but they see themselves in the things that I write and the testimonials um, from my clients and they associate themselves with that word creative and they're saying, oh, that's me. I want to pull those people in and I want those people to book a consultation call and I want those people to be the people that I work with. I want everybody else to go away and just like, don't even waste my time. I don't want the 30 minutes on the phone with you, I don't, which is also why I make them fill out this application before I'll even send anyone my consultation calendar because I'm like, I don't, if you're an accountant who wants to be an accountant at another place, like I'm not the person to help you. Like uh, we're just going to waste everyone's time. So I'm kind of constantly, you know, gatekeeping and and filtering and and referring out and just trusting. I mean, a whole big part of this process is just trusting which unfortunately that I think just comes with experience and time, which is frustrating for impatient people like me, but just trusting that you don't have to be desperate for anyone out there that will work with you. If you filter slash niche 
to the people that you could give the best results to, that's then going to lead to your referrals and a business based on word of mouth because you have such happy clients. And that can't happen if you're working with your wrong people. It's not going to be a good experience. So I think that all plays into each other. In episode eight, I had another friend, mentor, coach, the amazing Kate Courageous. And she really shed light on the idea of fear and what fear is and why we need to face our fears to get to joy, which is really, really at the heart of this show is the joy is not a simple or naive choice. And that joy is often the hardest choice to make because it means saying yes to things and it means stepping out into whoever you really are and living that life that you really want to live. And so fear is really woven in among the choices that we make when we say yes to joy. So I loved what Kate had to say and share about the role of fear and courage in our lives. How would you define the relationship between fear and courage? Fear is the wound and courage is the healing. And fear just wants to be healed. So most people try to get rid of fear. They go, oh, the point of the work is to try to get rid of my fear. But I think that the point of the work is to listen to the fear so that you can understand where it's wounded and try to heal that wound. When you understand something, it becomes your friend. Note that I did not say respond to the fear. I said listen to it. Listening to the fear means that you you come to understand how it works and why it's showing up. Responding to the fear is what people often do, and that is what causes them to shut down. And it takes an enormous amount of courage to listen to the fear because for most people, having spent so much time not listening to the fear, when they finally do tune in, fear is pissed. <laughs> yes. Fear, I mean, fear is not saying nice things. In episode 50, entrepreneur and jewelry designer, Chris Nations, joined me. And she also talked about fear and how it can continue to come up even as a business is growing and how to harness that fear to drive you to your highest potential, which I just thought was an amazing insight, both from the fact that the fear remains as a constant presence, but also how she is able to harness that to help her stay on track and stay motivated. And and there's always a level of fear, like that you could fail or you could have a really bad season and it just could be a disaster or you would have to lay off people. So there's always a level of fear that a healthy level of fear that keeps you going. The feel of fear of failure that keeps you motivated. And now, yeah. you know, especially like, you know, working with my sister and like having our families involved at this point, like they're like, we can't fail. And so that's kind of what keeps us going. Mm. I like that. There's a couple layers there that are so nice, which is one, there's that healthy layer of like fear as motivator, which I think a lot of people feel fear and then it's, it's uncomfortable. So maybe they don't want to be anywhere in that territory. Right. Like, so Mm -hmm. that's, that's an interesting point. And also that even 12 years in another thing to underline for people, like even 12 years in it's, there's still fear of, Mm -hmm. of the next season or, of a new season or whatever. Yeah. 
And finally, in this look back of just kind of mind-blowing moments that have stuck with me, I am constantly thinking about the conversation that I had with Cam Adair, who started Game Quitters, and that was episode 47. Near the end of our interview, he talked about how he has been looking for life balance and how, as a principal, that's kind of boring to him. So he's decided for this last year to focus on play based on the fact that you will never get to the end of your to-do list. Now, as a project manager, this is kind of a mind-blowing idea to me because I think that we all cling to this idea that somehow that's why we have a to-do list is that it will remind us of all of the things that we need to do. But I love his angle on this because it really does breathe life into this idea that a balanced life is not just getting through the to-do list. And joy is not about all of the doing, but rather the being. And so I love that he has decided to focus on play for this year. I think you're really going to love what he has to say. The thing is, is that in a, in our world, it's really, really easy to think that work is the only thing that matters. Yeah. Or the only time we ever hear the opposite is when someone tells us the boring work-life balance stuff, which just doesn't connect with me. <laughs> so what yeah. I realized was in order to focus more on play, I had to let go of the idea that I would ever catch up to my to-do list because I'm not and you're not. Your to-do list is going to continue to grow until you die. You're yeah. never going to catch up. Work is always going to be there. You're going to work for the next 40, 50 years of your life. It's just what you're going to do because otherwise you're super bored, right? And your idea of work might change a little bit, but you'll always be doing something to be productive because otherwise you're just so bored. So Mm -hmm. letting go of the idea that work is ever going to be complete and instead just embracing, okay, how can I find work in my life now that I'm passionate about and how can I also find a way to make that full, fully sustainable uh, by play? So for me, that was surfing and uh, find whatever that means in your life. Yeah. It changes the point. Yeah. The point's not to complete the list. Right. The yeah. point is the impact that you're going to have by working on the list. For the second half of this finale episode, I wanted to go back and revisit some of the amazing answers that I have gotten to my final question, which is... What three ways can you think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? And there have been so many great answers from so many guests about this. I just knew that I couldn't close out this season or even this show without revisiting some of my very favorite answers to that question. Tiffany Hahn in episode 51 added more around getting started in order to evolve. Like I always say, like the out, like go do something, go for it, because that's actually most of the time we have these ideas and then we take a step and then we take another step and then we turn left and then we turn right. And then before you know it, you're doing something completely different. And you're like, I didn't even know I wanted to do this. <laughs> yes. and, and you wouldn't have known until you had started taking the steps. So like you guys do the th- do one thing right now today. For that thing that you're like, oh my God, is she talking to me about this thing? I am. I am. Yes. Mm-hmm. I oh, dancing. I want everyone to dance more. I think we should all dance more and be goobers. Michelle Ward, the creative career coach, talks about getting out of your comfort zone. What else? I think uh, getting out of your 
comfort zone and maybe doing something that you don't know why you want to do it, but you should do it anyway. Like for me, that was ukulele. I was like, I don't really know why I feel this urge to play the ukulele, but, and I guess this kind of ties in with the first thing that I said, but like, you might be like, I think I might want to paint something. I don't know. And I've never really painted before, but just go with that hunch and do that thing and see if you like it. I think keeping your Nancy Drew hat on for that mm-hmm. sort of stuff could just uh, add a lot of joy to your life and, and keep you learning and, and growing too. Christy Tenderly Spalding speaks some great wisdom around letting things be easy. The last one is let it be easy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be such a fight and such a struggle. You could just do the easy thing. <laughs> and and let it be easy and let it be let yourself be in again your own sort of zone of genius and making the impact that only you can make um and not letting it be a fight in episode two dr amy avazade who is a fertility specialist talks about sparkling every day and this has been one of those things that i just keep going back to in my life with my clients and on this show. And I just can't get enough of this beautiful idea that just like joy, we can choose to sparkle. We can choose to bring out the best in ourselves and in others. And we can do that either by wearing something that is beautiful and sparkly or by putting on the attitude of sparkle. And I just love that it is a no nonsense approach and that she also sees that this is not an easy choice. Uh, someone taught me, a very dear friend of mine, that you want to be so happy in your life that you're almost sparkling. Mm-hmm. So you want to, you know, basically let happiness sparkle through you. And so I feel like if I can somehow sparkle, it doesn't matter like what I feel on the inside, but if somehow on the outside I can show that through my actions then for me on the inside, I'm going to feel better, but then hopefully that'll rub off on other people. So I think part of it is, you know, three things are just to be, live as positive as possible because being an active thinker and being a positive thinker is so important because if you let those daily passive negative thoughts just, you know, crowd your mind, then you can actually feel as bad as those thoughts coming in. So that's, for me, very important. Um, So I would say, you know, be as happy as possible, as positive as possible, be as active a thinker as possible. I think that really helps you bring joy because you're not letting those negative thoughts in. And then probably the third thing is find people that support and love you, especially in the world of fertility. It's so easy to be judged. You tell your neighbor, she's giving you all sorts of advice. But there's so many forums and groups that you can join that will make you feel like you're not alone. So I think that's important is to get support and love from people that can somehow empathize and support you through whatever journey you're in or going through. Yes. Emily Wapnick talks about finding the zone where you're in the flow. And I love that she spoke into this because... Yes, I've totally been there. Flow oftentimes happens when I'm doing this podcast. I just lose track of time. It also happens when I'm getting ready to lead a retreat or when I'm working with clients. I just adore that she spoke into it. 
I always feel joy when I'm like in the flow. So if you can become aware of things that kind of get you into that state where like time disappears or like time flies and or stands still and you kind of like look up an hour later and you're like, whoa, you know, you're just, just like you and whatever you're working on. Like to me, that's joy. So yeah, I guess just like identifying those things or Laura Sims brings up this idea of savoring exquisite moments. And I felt like this was such an innovative and new take on, as she says, gratitude lists. Okay. So one of my favorite things to do, you know, you've heard of making gratitude lists where it's like Mm -hmm. at the end of the day and you're in your bed and you write down five things in your journal that you're grateful for. I feel like that's kind of cheating because <laughs> you you have stock answers in the back of your mind that you know you should be thankful for. So you're, you know, you're in your pajamas and you're like, my house, my family, my dog, whatever. Like, you don't have to think about that. So instead of doing that, I like to do something I call looking for exquisite moments. So all day long, as you're going through your day, you're kind of on the lookout for an exquisite moment. And it's just that it's a moment. It's fleeting it's not something you can go back and recreate. And it's not something you're going to see and be thankful about tomorrow. And it's just a moment. So it's not an event. So it's not like, oh, my exquisite moment was when my kid rocking my kid to sleep at night. Like that's not a moment. The moment might be like when I can feel her arms relax and I know she's falling asleep. Or instead of being like, oh, my exquisite moment was like the birthday party my coworkers threw. It's the exquisite moment was when Sharon came around the corner and I could see there were lit candles on a cake. Mm. That's the moment. So just finding one of those a day, the cool thing is you'll be on the lookout all day long. (laughs) And for me, it just makes me so much more present and aware and appreciative of the little things. So that's one of my joy practices Two, share chocolate with a friend because chocolate (laughs) three. Okay. If we go back to the first question, I would say play with a furry animal. Or at least watch one on YouTube (laughs) because they're just so joyful and happy. And there's nothing like you just don't get that from a human. Mm -hmm. My favorite is watching baby otters. Yes. Otters are especially joyful. They are. (laughs) They really are. Seemed only appropriate for the final thoughts from a guest for this finale show. To be from Jan Cather Weaver, who was my professor at Yale Divinity School. I loved her class because it was this beautiful weaving of spirituality and art and entertainment and how the holy and religious parts of our lives can come through in everyday modern entertainment and modern art and what the reflections of the divine in our space here and now are. Much of what I learned in that class, I can see coming through in this podcast on a weekly basis. How do we find joy in the here and now? And how is our deeper spirituality, our deeper purpose intertwined in following that joy? And so it's with deep appreciation to all of my guests those that are included here and others that have been on the show, it's with deep appreciation that each of them have come and shared a bit of their heart, a bit of their life with with us, with me. Uh, I have to say that there is a moment in every show, in every interview, where I find myself 
just soaking in the amazement of getting to talk to this other person and hear their take on our world and hear their take on how we can bring more joy to this world together. And so it really is humbling and amazing to get to do this work each week. And with that, here are Jan's thoughts on how to jumpstart your joy. Radical gratitude. Yes. And radical acceptance. Mm -hmm. And that really means really radically accepting the present. And then radical hospitality to everyone. Everyone, everyone, everyone. The sibling that bugs you. The the neighbor that drives you crazy, the prisoner, the the, the professor, the the student, um, because of their sexuality or their class or their mannerisms, whatever. But radical hospitality to everyone, and that doesn't mean we have no boundaries, but it does mean that we are not judging people. Mm. Amen. (laughs) That's a lot to soak in. I love it. And with that, a deep-seated, heartfelt thank you to every guest that has been on this show for the last 51 episodes. And thank you to each of you who have listened week after week. This has really been an amazing and wild ride. um, And I couldn't have done it without you. So a very, very deep thanks. If you want to get show notes for this one, again, it's at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 52, and you can get all the links to every one of these episodes uh, for the full conversation if you want to learn more about any of the people involved. I also have a free version of my balance class that is up on the website right now. If you go under classes, you can find it there and just sign up. You'll get a five-week free e-course. The other exciting things that are coming up, like I mentioned at the top of the show, Christy and I are going to be releasing our Breathing in Balance class. And I'm so excited because it is really good work. And next week, you guys, oh my gosh, I have highlights from the top 10 most downloaded shows over the last year. And as part of the celebration, I've gone back to each guest and asked if they would also provide a little update, either in writing or audio about what joy has meant to them over the last year. So I'm excited to say I do have updates from several guests, including Danny Wood. And so I hope you guys will come on back next week to hear all those updates and those highlights. And until then, yay, it's been a year. I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.